0: Kevin Harrington, an original shark in the hit TV show Shark Tank, I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an As Seen on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur, Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester, I'm the author of Unite, The Four Mindset Shifts for Senior Leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author, he's got an amazing radio show. Hello there, my name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, This guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development.
1: Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dov is just an outstanding character, Uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses.
0: Hey, this is Derry, I'm John Kavala Davis, a.k.a. The Strategy Man. And if I'm going to describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need for leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobstead team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century.
1: Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling
0: author of Stadium Status: taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Berga, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders.
1: Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way.
0: Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I call bullshit, live your life, not somebody else's. Dov Barron to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron.
1: Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser.
0: I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that
1: were quite visible, but were still hidden.
0: I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book, Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Hi, I'm Jimmy Mustard, the author of the best-selling book, The Iconist, The Art and Science of Standing Out. Uh, my book, which came out uh, in October 1st, 2019, just hit the number one best-selling seller list uh, on Amazon. Uh, ebooks for marketing and for popular culture. And uh, the book also won the OWL Award, uh, which is the Outstanding Works of Literature Award. So I'm kind of an expert. I have the pleasure of introducing my good friend and uh, somebody I deeply admire today, Dove Barron. Dove Barron is a leadership strategist, culture maker, storyteller, meaning generator, and dragonist. He has been named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 speakers in the world on the subject of leadership twice. He is the host of the most successful podcast in the world, listened to by Fortune 500 executives. His podcast was named by Inc. Magazine as the number one podcast in the world for Fortune 500 leaders. Dove, welcome to the interview.
1: Thank you, for, thank you for that intro, and thank you, Jamie. And first of all, before we go any further. Huge congratulations. That is an enormous achievement that you reached the number one spot on Kindle in the world in the category of marketing and popular culture. That is so outstanding. And by the way, if you haven't read The Iconist, you have to go read it. I read it twice back to back. It's the best branding book i would read in a decade. It's awesome. So full congratulations to you. Thank I know it's about me, but let's stop me. <laughs> <you. laughs> no, I really
0: appreciate it. It's been a tremendous amount of work and a long journey, a marathon, not a sprint, mm-hmm. and a real dedication to caring about the ideas that are in the book. And I think that's where you and I as human beings connect. Absolutely. I was able to push through with that work for the last 10 to 15 years, which is now resulting uh, in a very successful, one of the best-selling books in the world with all the odds against me mm-hmm. Okay is because of one of the subjects we're going to talk about today which is meaning and i think that's what you you and i as human beings you know i talk about standing out you talk about leadership you talk about loyalty these are things that i'm very interested in but they're not necessarily things that i understand so i'm going to learn today but where i sure. think one of the things that we're going to be talking about meaning today and why this is important more than ever for leaders and executives and we're going to be talking about loyalty today which is now more important than ever for leaders and executives um and i think on the subject of meaning is where you and i connect even though we're we're very different people that connection is so strong that it's almost made us you know uh just connected us in a in a very deep way very quickly absolutely all right dove uh why a dragon why do you call yourself the dragonist
1: You know, dragons are this wonderful metaphor. So first of all, when we think about a dragon, you know, we can think about that in a mythological sense. And that's great. And that's entertaining. But really, when I'm thinking about being a dragon in your leadership, I mean, when you think about what a dragon is, you know, you see them as these very powerful creatures. They're not something that sort of tinkers in gently. There's a power, there's a presence of them. And when they speak, there is a fire that comes from them that is not like a little match being lit. It's something that ignites everything around it. And what's fascinating about this metaphor of dragons is that they have this very, you know, they have these amazing scales and these massive wide wings surface. But here's what's interesting. Every dragon in mythology has this one scale that's completely soft. And this is what it takes to be a dragon leader. You have to have great power. You have to have great span. You have to be willing to protect what is valuable, which is what all dragons do. But you also have to have that heart center, that soft center, that connection to your vulnerability. So it's this wonderful balance of enormous power and extremely deep, soulful, connected vulnerability.
0: So yeah, vulnerability is the receptor. It allows us to take in the environment around us so that we're constantly present with people in what's happening in our business or as we're leading, right? Vulnerability is the, it's the, it's the thing that we see with?
1: Yeah, you know, there's the interesting thing about it is that vulnerability, you know, if you're in my age bracket, was seen as a weakness, but we now understand that if you're going to keep your top people, if you're going to hold on to your top talent, you they want vulnerability. They want to see the humanity in you. And that's vitally important. And empathy is now, you know, re- risen to the top in understanding of values of leaders, that we need to have empathy. We need to have compassion. But we can't actually do that. It's often an act until we can step into self-vulnerability, into looking inward, seeing ourselves, and then sharing that with others. But let me be clear, vulnerability is not about emotional vomit. It's not about just vomiting on people. You, as a leader, you understand that you've got to have depth, you've got to have power, you've got to have strength, and you have to do reciprocal vulnerability. And as a leader, you need to be measured in that. So we're not just not, about pouring it all out.
0: I hear you. But we're not just talking about leaders. We're also talking about employees, right? Absolutely. Are you worried that some leaders that might be watching this interview might think to themselves, well, I don't want my employees to be a dragon. I just want them to go and do their job and do work.
1: Yeah. And that's entirely possible. And if that's you, bye-bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I was, okay. I, what I mean by that is very simply this. Here's the deal. The largest workforce today are millennials. Now, you might be thinking about millennials as being kids, but the truth is that millennials are now, as we record this in 2020, millennials are 40 years old at the upper end. So they are determining what they want in the workforce, and we have to listen. They want that level of vulnerability. They want that level of empathy, and they want that level of compassion. And here's the thing. When I talk about being a dragon, it's understanding that you want to ignite fire inside of your people. You want them to be on fire to work with you. You want them to be on fire about the purpose of your organization. You want to be on fire about what it is they're doing every single day, but you don't want them burned out. And if you don't get in touch with what sets them on fire, they will burn out.
0: Yeah, and I want to get into that a little bit more later, how the world's changed, why Mm -hmm. that style of leadership of empowering people uh, is different than, you know, our original manufacturing economy from 100 years ago. Absolutely. Um, And part of that, and you know, and what you're kind of describing, and I've seen this more and more in companies is almost like the talent interviewing the company, you see this more and more.
1: Absolutely, and and we all
0: know that it can be really um, expensive—not just in terms of financially expensive, but you know, intellectually expensive, productivity, all sorts of expensive. Yes, if if you have a lot of turnover with talented people, or if you can't attract the the most talented people, right? So, before we get into that, because I want to, I want to get in, I want to kind of get into that later in the interview after we kind of flush out this concept um, of dragons a little bit more in relation to a company. Um, So, uh, first of all, what makes you a dragon? (laughs)
1: That's a great question. What makes me a dragon? Well, because I am, I, I deeply believe in this concept of vulnerability is power, that that willingness to step into vulnerability is true power. Um, I believe that if you're going to be a dragon, you have to be on purpose. And for me, that is vital. It's the life's blood. It is the blood inside of the dragon is the is the purpose. Why are you doing what you're doing? You see, if you're operating in a place of um, making money, that's great, but that's not going to keep you going. So it's, I'm a dragon because there's a message here. There's something bigger. And what that means is, I love the metaphor of dragons because we don't see dragons. We don't see them. So they're always a little bit hidden. And what I mean by that is they understand that the legacy is greater than them. So what makes me a dragon is this. Part of my purpose is to have impact on people who will never know my name. What I mean by that is my legacy has to outlive me. And that's one of the signs of a dragon.
0: Okay. And, okay. And are dragons, uh, born? Is everyone a dragon or are they made? <laughs> how, how does, I mean, how does, one, I mean, I, you know, what I'm hearing when I, when I hear you talk, What I, what, one of the things that kind of crossed my mind when I was listening mm. to you is growing up in Western and American culture, but Western culture, Yeah. um, we're often taught and I know Brene Brown's talked a lot about this and, and gone on to like, to get, try to people to get people to understand this concept. But even, you know, for me, the way I grew up, you know, I was taught my whole life, not just through, you know, my life, but also through media and movies and music, you know, you're taught as a male, especially, but I'm sure this is true for all of us human beings. Mm-hmm. It, vulnerability is a weakness. Mm-hmm. And I decide, I don't know how I, how or why I did it, but I figured out from a very young age, uh, that vulner—it actually takes more strength to be vulnerable, because when you're vulnerable, you have to let stuff in, and you're gonna—it's it—and that's going to hurt you, and that's going to cut you, or that's going to affect you in ways that you wouldn't be affected if you had a big shell around you, right? Yeah. So, I'd just like you to just, just say a few words on the subject of: Am I right? Is it? does it actually take a stronger tougher more powerful person to be vulnerable
1: which is a little bit counterintuitive it's totally counterintuitive for the way that we're trained to believe strength is but what we know is that it takes enormous strength to be vulnerable it takes enormous strength to be willing so you know i mean let's just take it into a a simple romantic sense for a moment You know, if you got your heart broken when you were 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and most of us did, and if you grew a a wall around your heart, you never let anybody else in and something in your life was missing. But the willingness to step out, the willingness to be willing to be hurt again is the only way to really feel true love in your life. Now, here's the thing. As an employer, let's just go to employers first. As an employer, as a leader, you're gonna employ people who are going to burn you by virtue of your vulnerability. And that's your checkout. That's why you say, well, I'm not gonna do it because I got burned. Well, here's the thing. If you get burned once, but you bond 99% of the people to you, isn't that worth it? And the answer is always yes. It takes enormous strength to be vulnerable. It takes more power and more strength to be vulnerable. And that's where real leadership takes place. Now, let's just put that in context, in another context, which is physiologically. Physiologically, if you break your arm, the place it was broken where it reheals is stronger than the bone around it. If you take a piece of metal and you weld it to another piece of metal, that metal will never break at the weld. It will break on the other side of the weld. The weld is stronger than the metal. The fracture, where the joint comes together, is stronger than the bone. Where you are broken open in your vulnerability makes you more powerful, not less. Okay. Vulnerability is power, it is strength, and it allows you to let more in, as you said. And that's a great point. It allows more in. You yeah, know, it I mean, expands it you.
0: The vulnerable leader, the way his employer, employees, or talent would talk about. Her or him would be they listen to me, they care, they're engaged. The the way they might interpret uh, somebody that doesn't have vulnerability as a leader is they're indifferent, they don't care, they're closed off. And now, with the world in a a digital world moving at a hyper speed where adaptability becomes key, and we're going to talk about this a little later, Mm -hmm. that method repels talent, I would imagine, right?
1: It does indeed. Okay.
0: So, how does a leader seeing their talent as dragons, their employees as dragons, right. help them increase the loyalty of the employees and the talent? What is that metaphor? How does seeing them as a dragon help them increase and secure loyalty from them?
1: Okay, great question. So, so let's just break it down into pieces. So as I said, the largest workforce we have today are millennials. So let's look at what are the higher values of millennials. Number one, meaningful work. They want to do meaningful work. On top of that, they want to feel their voice is heard. Very important. So we want meaningful work, we want to know our voice is heard. There are other things in there, but let's just go with those to start. So meaningful work, what does that mean? There has to be a purpose inside of the company. Human beings are meaning generating machines. We create meaning all the time. And we're also, quite naturally, as part of our, of our developmental psychology, looking for our own meaning. So if we until we've done that journey on ourselves, we are looking to attach meaning. This is how people become parts of groups, or religions, or, or sports teams, or whatever it is. We attach a meaning. If, if your talent attaches their meaning to you, they want to stay. And what's more, this is why it's vital, is they become evangelical for you. They will become your recruiters. Because even though millennials do move on far faster than uh, previous generations, they're not always leaving because they hate the company. That does happen, but not always. If you've created a dragon environment, if you've created an environment where you are supporting the dragons inside of your organization, what happens is this they will leave because they're just growing and doing something else. And they will go to their friend and they'll say, you gotta go work for Jamie, you gotta go work for Dove. you gotta go work for XYZ because these guys are awesome. Uh, You know, I'm just done and I gotta move on. But what they're about matters so much. And here's the key, they will hear you, they will listen to your input, they will value that input and you will see them in a very real way these are the things that bond talent to us and when it's costing you 1.5 to 2 times the annual salary of an individual to replace them and if you if they're gone within 2 years that means you've got no ROI it's costing you money every single time you have got to keep your people loyal
0: and that's a low that's a low number really if you're looking at high level talent
1: like oh some, absolutely
0: right if you're dealing with high like if you're dealing with super high level programmers or financial analysts that can be quantum or exponentials of two time you know of the cost to so like you know some people are very very hard to replace in terms of their specialization
1: right so when i say 1.5 to 2 times the annual salary i'm talking about just acquisition okay just acquisition
0: that's that's not even the cost of the loss or the time change or
1: not at Are you all. going to get
0: somebody good enough? And and then there's cases where you replace somebody and then you don't know for six months to a year that they can't do it.
1: Right? Exactly.
0: And it's distracting and disturbing for a lot of leaders, right?
1: Right. And, and, you know, so we know that the crisis is in keeping the top talent, but we also know that part of the crisis, and this is important, the part of the crisis is engagement. So back in... Uh, uh, 2007, there was research done, and it showed that engagement was in the high 60s. Uh, l- lack of engagement was in the high 60s, rather disengagement was in the high 60s. And they figured you got to do something about that. So, three, I think it was 350 billion a year is spelt- spent on leadership development around engagement. And guess what? Engagement's gone down, not up. We so have we, a problem. We've got to keep people engaged. And when you when you talk about treating employees
0: or talent like dragons, we are talking about empowering them to uh, do their best work uh, by I mean what does it mean to it means treat them like find
1: a helping the people that you, who work for you to find their fire. So let me just give you this in a very simple terms. In the old days, <laughs> in the old days, we hired somebody and we said, oh, you're an ex, and you're gonna do X until you leave. And when you leave will be when we give you a handshake and a gold watch. Mm -hmm. We know that doesn't exist anymore. We know that the average lifespan of uh, a person inside of your company is about two years. And if you get somebody who is fiercely loyal, they will last four. Our clients often have people who last six and seven years. That's That's almost three times what they would normally last, which is amazing, very valuable. But here's the thing. Why do they last? Because dragon leaders working with dragons, bringing up dragons inside of their organization, are constantly looking for the fire inside of that person. And they understand that that fire is not limited to a single thing. Okay, question. Can all employees and talent
0: be made to have fire and be dragons? Are dragons born? Are are dragons made? Can anyone be a dragon? Can anyone, can all employees have fire?
1: All employees can have fire. Your job as a leader is to find that fire. And by the way, let's be clear here. To find that fire and recognize if it's a fit inside of your organization. So stop keeping people where you are actually throwing a wet blanket on their internal fire, because if you do, you will burn them out. And that is a crisis. Okay. Um, so we talk about millennials and them
0: choosing where they want to work and meaningful work, and there's incredible statistics. Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary for leaders. I think something like 87% of Americans don't like their jobs. Right. So, what I hear when I re- when I read a statistic like that is eighty seven percent
1: of Americans don't find meaning in their work. You got it. It's right? all about meaning, and this is what so few people understand. It's salary is important, of course, but meaning is far more important because talent today has more freedom than they've ever had. And here's one of the things that I've
0: talked with, uh, you know, my colleagues and peers about in terms of. Loyalty, other than the millennial question, because I don't think it's just the millennial question. not. Right? I think you know, for me, how I th- and I, I, just want you to weigh in this, weigh in on this. For me, what I think the biggest issue is when I think about it is, you know, if you were working for, if we look at the second industrial revolution mm-hmm. at the turn of the nineteenth to the twentieth century, um, we had factories and we yeah. had a factory top down, down mentality absolutely okay? so you just do the job and there's so many things you could spit out in a day and that's all you cared about well today the economy is different um, no. you, 2.0 3.0 4.0 5.0 you know iphone 1 iphone 3 iphone 8 right so w- what's become the kind of a very like important foundation of the modern economy is adaptability constant absolutely. improvement of the last version right so yeah. it would seem to me that that top-down way of managing, that maybe works in a factory environment. It doesn't work in an environment where you need teams to be creative, feel empowered, and adapt faster to the competitors. Can you comment on that real quick?
1: Absolutely, so here's what I would just say to everybody. Those who adapt the fastest do the best. Those who adapt the fastest do the best. What does that mean? It means you've got to have agility. And to have agility, you have to have cognitive agility. So what does cognitive agility mean? It means you have to surround yourself with people who don't think like you. And so in the old mindset, in the old industrial revolution mindset of working from the top down, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm in charge of, and you will do that. No, no, no. If you're going to not just survive, but thrive in today's economy, you have to have agility. And that means bringing people around you who don't think like you, who think in a different way, who can give you a perspective you would never have dreamed of. And that is gold. So for efficiency,
0: creativity, adaptability, um, we need to treat our employees uh, like dragons. So they have the so that they're empowered to go to go above and beyond when you're not even around to come up with ideas that you wouldn't think of when you're not even around and to get those ideas done again those that 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 is important in this economy and isn't necessarily important in the first second industrial revolution economy in which our country was made where you just were like spitting out numbers so today it's numbers but today but then it was numbers but now you need a certain amount of. Independence and intelligence. If you want to keep up with others, correct?
1: Absolutely. And the connective tissue is meaning.
0: Okay. So let me. This get is this
1: the, is a key for everybody to get. The connective tissue is meaning.
0: So let me that let me pick off, with pick up with that with my next question. Mm-hmm. Okay. How does meaning in terms of work affect output efficiency, adaptability? loyalty and effectiveness, productivity, the things we're talking about here, how does meaning directly increase those things that actually result in the bottom line
1: of a company? So we can go in the general sense first. And in the general sense first, this is not new research. This is actually from the 1990s. In the 1990s, there was great research done. Um, If you, uh, read the book, not good to great, but the one that came after it will come to me in a moment. Um, they did research on what is it that keeps, why why is, uh, why do some companies last and continue to last when other companies disappear? The average lifespan of a company on the S&P 500 is 15 years. Why is it that some companies are able to last hundreds of years? And the answer was always purpose. That's not, myth. please be clear, it's not a mission statement, that's not a vision, that is something bigger that is to outlive the founders of the organization. Something greater mattered more. So number one, the longevity, that's it. And on top of that, what we do, we find? We found that the average stock value of a company that was purpose-driven is 1,200% higher than their, than their competitors, 1200%. That's pretty amazing. Then you come down to the employees and what we know is that for employees who work in a, in a meaningful environment, who are purpose-driven, who, that where the employee, the talent is aligned with the purpose and the meaning of the organization, they are far more productive and they are far more engaged and they are far more loyal. These are key value statements.